In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. She would wake up in the middle of the night and hear this music. And at first she thought maybe uh, she'd left the TV on or something like that. But she would go out to check and the music would stop as soon as she got into the room where this violin case was hanging on the wall. Hey there, I'm hard at work on another edition of Inner Sanctum, my free monthly newsletter. Inner Sanctum features my monthly brief, a column of my thoughts and opinions on what's happening in the world. It features a spotlight on a past guest, a look ahead to an upcoming episode of my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show. It features a look at this month in conspiracy and UFO history and my Conspiracy Unlimited podcast episode pick of the month and so much more. To get your free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, delivered to your email inbox, just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on Inner Sanctum and register. It's fast, easy, and again, absolutely free. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. 
Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Uh, it's that time of the month, and uh, it's time for a visit from our paranormal investigator extraordinaire, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Now, of late, Rosemary joins me in the latter half of the show, and we get her take on some paranormal stories in the news. We, co- we call it our Paranormal News Roundup. But tonight, we've got a, a special treat for you, because Rosemary is with us for the entire hour. She has a brand new book out. It's called Haunted by the Things You Love, which she's, she's a co-author with John Zaffis. Zaffis, you may uh, rem- remember, is a, a paranormal researcher of some renown. Uh, and he has a, a paranormal reality TV show called The Haunted Collector. I believe it's on sci-fi. Uh, he's not with us tonight, but we do have, of course, Rosemary. And... Uh, She's no stranger to this topic. Uh, we've, we've talked about haunted objects before, but we're delighted to have the whole hour to do so. Again, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, one of the leading experts on the paranormal, with more than 50 books published by major houses on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, mystical topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias, last time I checked anyway. Her work is translated into 15 languages, and she's worked full-time in the paranormal since 1983, researching, investigating, writing, and presenting, and, of course, teaching. Always a pleasure to welcome back Rosemary Ellen Guiley. How are you, Rosemary? Wow, Richard, it's been quite a weekend. John and I were at a major paranormal conference in uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, where we actually debuted our new book, Haunted by the Things You Love, that we'll be talking about this evening. We were both presenting at the conference, and uh, the actual debut in hard print and an e-book was on Friday, and it's gotten off to a terrific start, very well received. John has many, many fans from uh, his long career in the paranormal, and also as the star of his own reality show, Haunted Collector, which was all about objects that have spirit attachments and then create havoc with uh, people who acquire them. Uh, yes, congratulations, first of all, on, on the book. And what is this for you, number 51, 52, 53? I've lost count, Rosemary. I'm pushing 60 now, oh, I think. <laughs> uh, now, is, is John's program uh, still available on Sci-Fi, The Haunted Collector? Uh, it's being shown in reruns. At the end of season three, uh, John decided that he wanted to do some other things, pursue some other projects, and he felt that the show had had a very good run. It was uh, one of the top uh, paranormal reality shows uh, on air, and especially on sci-fi. And uh, so they're no longer in production, but um, it's uh, it still cycles around. And, uh, of course, John's still very active, as I am, doing uh, appearances on media and, and uh, at events. He's had a very long career in demonology. Uh, he's related by blood to the late Ed Warren, who was uh, quite famous with his wife, Lorraine Warren, who's uh, still out and about um, doing uh, audiences and events. 
you know, demonic hauntings. And that's really where John got his start with uh, haunted objects, is that uh, some of the cases he worked on very early in his career involved objects that had spirit attachments and were the source of trouble. And then, of course, in my own career, I've come across that, too, in my investigations. People go out, they get things secondhand. Uh, they don't realize that what they're bringing into the home has something extra attached to it. And uh, then people like myself and John get called uh, when all kinds of activity break out, uh, breaks out in, in a place, and people start having lots of problems, and, and they can't pinpoint it to anything. So it, it winds up being these objects. John has collected literally hundreds, probably actually thousands, if you count the things that he's got stored away in boxes. He has uh, a building on his property, a little barn that he calls the John Zappas Museum of the Paranormal, where he has hundreds of these objects on display. Have they been exercised? Um, uh, they have been, yes. When uh, What happens when we get a case is uh, when, when uh, we get it identified as uh, object-related, usually the people don't want anything to do with it. They're more than happy to get rid of it. Sometimes they'll even say, please, please, take this thing away. And so um, then the John takes uh, the objects and he neutralizes them, which consists of, oh, a number of different things. Uh, one is that uh, a spirit could be detached from an object and sent away. And uh, another is that it's literally bound to the object through uh, prayers and uh, the use of, of things like uh, uh, sea salt, which has... Um, a lot of the same properties that, you know, uh, blessed salt would have. And um, when they're placed in the museum, then, um, they're inactive. Some of the objects that have very strong spirits attached to them, he will put in a, uh, like a glass display case or an acrylic case, because even uh, handling them or bumping into them could uh, jar some activity loose. But in spite of all of that, when, when you go around and look at all these objects, and I've spent a lot of time in the museum examining things and uh, talking with John about the specifics of individual cases, there's still phenomena that happen. Even once they've been exercised? Even once the spirit's been bound to the object or they've been exercised? Uh, well, sometimes the things that have been bound, they do get loose a bit. And uh, so people will uh, sometimes see things or they'll hear voices or feel kind of creepy presences. I have gotten EVP there. There was uh, uh, one of the days that we were doing research for the book. Uh, we were walking around the museum, and I just had a digital recorder with me uh, for note-taking purposes. And uh, when I went back to transcribe the tape, at the very end of it, there was a masculine-sounding voice that whispered, John. Just like that, oh right at the my. end. That, that would chill you to the bone. And probably so, not. You know, You're used to are, that. It's <laughs> still there. Well, what's fascinating uh, to me is that there are so many phenomena associated, phenomena associated with one single animate ob inanimate object. Uh, you know, you, as you say, you bring in, let's say you buy a, a bonnet chest at a, uh, at a flea market. You bring it home, uh, and then a short while later, you've got... Maybe it's a string of bad luck. Maybe you're seeing poltergeist disturbances. Maybe you're having, you know, weird dreams, nightmares. Uh, you're seeing shadow people. 
Uh, I mean, can one object cause all of these things, or is it usually just one? Usually there's one spirit attached to an object. And uh, actually there's there are a number of explanations for attachments. And one, uh, the most active is spirit. Um, a, a spirit, for example, let's say um, an individual uh, has uh, a spirit attachment, and when that person dies, uh, the spirit stays with one of their possessions. Uh, and it's sort of an emotional bonding sort of thing. Sometimes people will inadvertently call in spirits. They're involved in uh, mediumship or uh, they're experimenting with summoning or spirit communications, and they'll call in things, and then those things linger in the environment. They don't go away, and they will attach to objects that sort of like a snail is, has a house, you know, and, and uh, it's a place to live. Sometimes objects are afflicted with curses. We've got several cases in the book, uh, usually involving love relationships gone bad, where people have deliberately cursed something and then given it as a gift, uh, and it's, it's like a peace offering or a present of some sort. And then that, that spirit comes in like a Trojan horse to wreak havoc uh, in, in a place. Then there's thought form energy and residual energy from a person, just intense emotions that sort of create an, an animated thought form energy that can boomerang around. So uh, most of these things do happen with secondhand objects that you find in estate sales and uh, antique shops, but even new objects can uh, become afflicted as well. Rosemary, early in my career, when I was producing talk radio, we received the uh, this email. I guess it would have been a fax back then, actually. This couple, they were uh, in Cambridge, Ontario, and they had come into possession of a, uh, a beautiful ca- a hand-carved uh, bench, which they later named the Devil's Bench. And it had the image of the, uh, I think it's the Roman god Bacchus. Is that is that the Greek god or a Roman god, the god of wine? Uh, mm-hmm. But it looked sort of devilish. And as soon as they got this bench into their home, the husband lost his job, the wife got sick, and just a, one string of you know uh, misfortune after another. So they got so desperate, they contacted us and wanted to know if they could they could if we could help them uh, have this thing exercised. So we actually brought it into the studio, and this is going back almost 20 years, you know, before I was a believer in the spirit world and the unseen uh, world and so forth. And so I was sort of flaunting. It was in my office overnight, and, I, and, and then in the morning I was sitting on it and saying, ah, this isn't going to, you know, this, there's no problem with this bench. Luckily nothing happened, but I was playing with fire. We did have it exercised on the air, uh, and then we actually auctioned it off. Uh, that was my first sort of experience with haunted objects. But I want to talk to you about these, uh, because one of the most common objects that are haunted, and we've talked about this recently, there was an item in the news, haunted dolls. One can understand why a spirit would have an attachment to a, to a childhood doll. Uh, but but, but uh, give us some for instances from the book, uh, people that have contacted you with uh, haunted or possessed dolls. Clown dolls rank at the top of the list. And the dolls in general are probably the leading candidates for afflicted objects. Um, they're substitutes for people. Uh, they're made like people. Um, sometimes they're, they're animated uh, electronically. And we give them personalities. You know, kids play with them. Adults like to collect them. Um, they have um, personalities. 
And so many spirits find this very appealing uh, to, uh, to to take over a doll and then start acting out. Uh, and some of these stories actually get to be Twilight Zone kind of material, you know, something that you think really belongs in a horror film. My name is um, Talking Tina, and I want to kill you. <laughs> exactly. One of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes where um, uh, the doll gets back at, at a daddy who doesn't like the doll. Uh, and we find, um, we haven't found any fatal dolls uh, yet, but we've certainly found dolls that start talking in their owner's heads. People say, I can hear, I can hear this voice that I know belongs to the doll and it's telling me things. The dolls will be found moving around on their own. Now, um, uh, people don't see the dolls scurrying around, but uh, they'll put the doll, for example, on a shelf in a room, and then they'll... Uh, uh, leave and and then come back later, and the doll isn't there anymore. It's somewhere else in the room. It's on the floor, or it's in another location, and uh, that can be very chilling and unsettling. People will have nightmares. Uh, they will hear footsteps uh, in hallways and in their bedrooms. They'll see shadow figures, and as you were just describing, also a breakdown of life. Uh, people begin to have health problems. Their relationships often suffer, uh, you know, fighting, bickering, uh, a lot of things that you wouldn't automatically label paranormal, but yet are part of a whole syndrome of things that happen when uh, unpleasant spirit activity takes hold in an environment. Uh, I remember my, my, uh, my mother um, has, or she still has it. It's an, an antique doll. I don't think she had it from childhood. I think she purchased it because it maybe reminded her of a doll she had. And it had the beautiful blue uh, uh, bonnet and like a felt uh, or a velvet dress. And it had those, you know, the antique dolls have those eyes that open and close and so forth. And uh, the uh, she had it sitting on her bed. And uh, this is going back uh, late 90s. And I brought I bought her a dog and I brought the dog home for her. The dog made a beeline to her bedroom and started barking at this doll. And um, like every day would go into her room and start barking at this doll. Uh, and, you know, we know that, that pets seem to have this, uh, this sensitivity to, I guess, psychic phenomena or whatever it is. Uh, but maybe my mom's, maybe that doll needs to be exercised. Sometimes there are attachments that, uh, they're not extreme, but yet animals will pick up on them. People might just have an unsettled feeling like, oh, that kind of gives me the creeps and I don't know why. Uh, we get those kinds of cases a lot too. And then we have these, more extreme cases where there are outbreaks of a very unpleasant activity. And I mentioned clown dolls at the top of the list. They are the worst. Many, pe- many people are frightened of clowns. Clowns really are kind of scary. And they also are uh, very prominent figures in a lot of horror stories. Um, and so uh, of all the dolls, and John has dozens and dozens of dolls in the museum, he's got more clown dolls than any other kind. Now, just a slight digression here. It, it relates to fear of clowns. Uh, I'm not sure if it was uh, Dr. David Jacobs who told me this, or it might have even been you, uh, that a fear of clowns may actually have at its root some sort of an alien abduction um, uh, scenario. Have you heard that? I have. I have not encountered that in um, any of my own cases, but I have read cases where uh, abductees will, uh, as part of the abduction um, scenario, they'll see like creepy faces show up in the window that look very clown-like, 
and certainly some of the monstrous forms that uh, come along in the the whole uh, play of phenomena as well uh, with abductions. Uh, they they can look very grotesque and gargoyle like or or clown like. How do I mean? Do we understand or the the process of how an object becomes um, either possessed or haunted? Sometimes I sometimes we we don't know exactly because we can't trace the whole history of an object, but we can speculate based on what we know about certain kinds of objects. For example, uh, in certain parts of the world, when masks are made for ritual purposes, those things are made specifically to house spirits. Spirits are invited to live in the mask. When people wear them, uh, they undergo a form of temporary uh, possession where that spirit is permitted to speak and act through uh, the human being. It's a very controlled sort of possession because when the ritual is over, uh, the spirit doesn't stay in the person, but it uh, goes to its house in the mask. Well, collectors who travel around the world and want the real deal, not just the commercial masks made for tourists, which are, are inert, uh, they go out and, and acquire these things, and they may not realize that they're bringing home uh, the, the abode of uh, a, a spirit, and these spirits are often not happy to be taken out of their native land. Uh, they'll be uh, usually put on display, uh, in another environment, and uh, if the conditions are right, and sometimes it depends on the people involved and their sensitivity to the spirit world, then uh, the spirit can act out in a very unhappy manner, just like um, uh, like an unhappy child, even. And uh, people have had nightmares. We've got a story in the book where a woman acquired an African mask that was a genuine uh, ritual mask, and uh, among the, the things that happened to her were nightmares where uh, she was in this foreign setting. She was out in this foreign land, out in a field of grass, and she was with people who were drumming and chanting. And uh, this dream repeated over and over again. We believe that uh, she was tapping into some sort of ritual memories that uh, had come along with the mask and the spirit. Does the material... Uh, from which the the object, piece of furniture or a doll or whatever, does the material it's constructed from um, make any difference? For example, um, uh, porcelain versus wood uh, is 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 one a greater uh, um, conductor of of um, of spirit activity? Well, we find that all kinds of objects can uh, can hold spirits, and we've certainly seen the gamut, every kind of material you can imagine. However. Uh, metal uh, is at the top of the list for its ability to retain uh, psychic energy, followed by wood, followed by natural stone, like crystal, field stone, uh, and things like that. So uh, like this tribal mask I was just talking about, of course it was carved out of wood, and it, it even had um, a hair that was attached to it that was, had been care- very carefully braided out of hemp. And uh, sometimes uh, bits of bone are attached to these things, shells and, and uh, other objects that all are also very good retainers. But those would be the top three. However, we've, um, uh, we've had porcelain statues, 
uh, clothing even uh, can uh, retain very powerful um, psychic memories and energy if it's been worn with uh, by someone who's had a great deal of emotional attachment to it. Uh, so it's almost anything you can think of has the potential to be haunted. Uh, mirrors are another example. Uh, mirrors have uh, a reputation for being a doorways to the spirit world, and uh, some of them seem to have let in some very unusual uh, entities into some of the cases that we've dealt with. Well, let's talk about possessed mirrors, and, and give me an example from, from the book, Haunted by the Things You Love. One of the most unusual mirror cases that I've ever encountered was this mirror that came in a, um, it was an ornate uh, mirror in a cherry frame uh, that was very nicely carved, had some age on it, probably early, you know, uh, early to mid-20th century. And uh, some, a couple bought it at uh, a sale, and they put it in their dining room. Well, the husband was always kind of creeped out by this mirror, but the wife was not affected. We find this in cases, too, where there's a principal focal point, a one person in the household that gets the brunt of it, even if uh, people, other people experience something. Well, he would see these shadowy forms go into the mirror. Now, usually in a, uh, a haunting where a mirror is involved, people will talk about seeing uh, filmy forms and faces in a mirror, and they will see things come out of a mirror. But this is the only case that I have ever heard of where somebody sees things going into a mirror. He never saw them coming out. These dark shadow forms started appearing in his house, and uh, they would react to him seeing them. And as soon as he saw them, they would zip into the dining room, and if he was fast enough, he could catch them disappearing into the mirror. He also started having nightmares. And uh, he had, it seemed like these, these blob, he called them the blobs and the blobby beings. Uh, the blobs were talking to him and uh, they were telling him that his friends and family were out to get him and they couldn't be trusted. Well, his health deteriorated, his relationship with his wife deteriorated, and uh, she didn't see anything wrong. She thought it was all in his head. Uh, she, uh, even when they had marked poltergeist phenomena in the house, she was unwilling to consider paranormal uh, explanations. This took a very, even after the, the situation was resolved and John came and took the mirror out, uh, something had attached to the husband and uh, the, the couple ended up splitting up. Uh, they'd been having kind of a rocky marriage anyway, and this was like the last straw. They they split up, but even after he moved out of the house, he continued to have these disturbing nightmares, along with this feeling, this foreboding that something terrible was going to happen to him. And uh, John heard um, uh, later on that uh, he had been killed in a, a tragic um, auto accident. Uh, so we're left to wonder, you know, were these blobby beings, were they part of that? Uh, were they trying to warn him? Uh, or were they, they part of some sort of um, tragic paranormal game where um, he was being given advance warning of his doom? 
All right, we'll uh, we'll step away for a few moments, Rosemary. Stay where you are, and uh, we'll reconnoiter on the other side and continue to delve into haunted objects, haunted by the things you love, with co-author Rosemary Ellen Guiley. I call it the miracle molecule, carbon-60, or C60, from my good friends at Evo C60. I take a tablespoon every morning. It delivers more than 172 times the power of vitamin C. C60 is a known antiviral, antioxidant, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, and it's a remedy that works. C60 Evo can slow down the aging process by reducing cellular damage. C60 Evo users consistently enjoy better sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. I sleep like a baby. I have no aches or pains. Zero. I'm 58, and I don't have a gray hair on my head. And I have boundless energy. Get your miracle molecule in a bottle. C60 from c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. Use the coupon code EVRS at checkout and save 10%. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you have a medical concern, please contact your healthcare provider. Theoretical physicists say that there is as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Welcome back. We are with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. She joins us every month at this time, and uh, we are spending the whole hour with her, uh, and happy to do so. Uh, she has a brand new book out, co-authored by John Zaffis. It's entitled Haunted by the Things You Love, and we're discussing haunted objects. Uh, uh, coincidentally, today, I believe it's today, is uh, Scott McClellan's birthday. Now, Scott McClellan, uh, in, here in the uh, Toronto area, is the man behind um, Carnival Diablo, which is one of the last sort of traveling sideshows in, in Canada. And uh, he has a ventriloquist uh, a dummy called Waldo that um, he actually purchased at auction from a, a, a U.S. government warehouse. It had been um, stowed away and uh, had many, many owners. It was actually char- uh, carved by the same, I don't know, a puppeteer, I guess, uh, that, that uh, carved Charlie McCarthy. And Waldo, uh, supposedly, is connected with about a dozen mysterious deaths over the years. Uh, in one case, uh, the owner's uh, house was... Uh, leveled by a natural gas explosion, and everyone in the house died, and Waldo was left totally intact. Uh, and the original owner was a vent- was a ventriloquist uh, in on vaudeville in vaudeville, who was found mysteriously beaten, a bludgeoned to death in his dressing room, even though there was no sign of entry and the door was locked from the inside. Uh, anyway, um, uh, Waldo, he later learned, was he learned this from a from a psychic who knew nothing of of, uh, Waldo's past, the the psychic simply walked up to the doll and said to Scott, this dummy was carved from a hangman's tree. And uh, Rosemary Ellen Galli, I asked you earlier about the material that something is, uh, you know, whether that has anything to do with whether something is haunted. Um, If if something is, is, um, is made from a hangman's tree or carved from maybe the wood left over from a coffin or something like that, can that cause something to be haunted or possessed? It certainly could, and in fact, in all likelihood, it would be. That that would be a, a very bad idea 
the wood would be able to retain all of these unhappy uh, emotions, anger, fear, uh, violent death. A hanging is a violent, unpleasant way to die. And all of those uh, psychic energies could be absorbed by the wood uh, and you know, perhaps dozens and dozens of them, depending upon uh, how many people died there. Uh, we have a similar case in the book, a deathbed, a wooden deathbed that came out of Africa. And this is a huge slab of wood on very short legs with a sat, kind of a saddle headrest at one end. And um, it apparently was used for... Um, for corpses to be laid out on prior prior to burial or uh, some sort of an um, probably not cremation although some people told us it was cremation but uh, probably more likely burial and it was brought over by tourists and collectors to this country um, people started getting sick um, chronically sick nightmares again the, the, there's a syndrome of things that happen in almost all of these cases nightmares shadow figures um, bad smells unusual sounds and then health issues and uh, it it got passed from uh, them to uh, another set of owners who experienced the same thing and then finally to a young couple who turned it into a coffee table oh all my they thought it was cool to have a deathbed as a coffee table and uh, the girlfriend got horribly afflicted and she left it split the couple up and at that point then uh, the man who who had acquired it uh, decided that well maybe it was time to get rid of it because he was starting to experience things too and this is uh, you know a piece of wood that uh, we have no idea how many bodies it held but uh, the, you can imagine the range of emotions. We don't know how those people died. Some of them might have had uh, lingering, unhappy um, deaths, or they might have died violently. Uh, people coming to view corpses would be in a state of uh, shock, uh, grief, maybe even anger. All of those emotions uh, go into something like that, and it absorbs it like a sponge. You know, sometimes we look at an object and it might be uh, innocuous, uh, or in fact it may represent, maybe it's a statuette or something, it may represent something that's quite positive. Let's say, for example, an angel or a cherub. And yet, that cherub may actually be haunted, and, and there's a case in, in your book. That was a deliberate curse. And uh, it's a great example of uh, uh, spurned love. Uh, a man and a woman uh, had a relationship. They went out for a while. He was more in love with her than she felt about him. She broke off the relationship, took up with another man, uh, and got married and was very happy. You know, she moved on with her life. The man who was left behind never got over her. Uh, kept thinking about her. Uh, couldn't understand why she left him. Uh, she was the perfect woman for him. He wanted her back. And uh, so he he decided to try magic to get her back. And uh, he uh, she liked it, angels and cherubs, and she had uh, artwork uh, of them. And so he drew this picture of this little winged cherub. And it's it's really creepy looking because he gave it coal black eyes. It's got solid black eyes, just like you would think a, a picture of a demon would have. 
and uh, he um, infused it with a magical spell. He taught himself how to do it. He put a, a spell on the back of, of the uh, drawing uh, and uh, hid it in the frame, and then called her up and invited her to lunch and um, <clears throat> said he had a present for her. And she reluctantly went, accepted it. She didn't really like it, didn't want to take a present, but she didn't want to hurt his feelings. And uh, she began to have a lot of problems. She started thinking about uh, her old ex and <coughs> excuse me, wearing his uh, jewelry that he had uh, given her. She started fighting with her husband. And uh, it created a lot of problems. It was a deliberate curse. Musical instruments, uh, Rosemary, can quite uh, easily be uh, haunted. One can imagine, you know, that, that people become attached in this life and the next, as it turns out. We have a case where um, a woman who uh, was a musician, she collected uh, instruments, and she got this antique violin. And uh, it was in a kind of a shadow box uh, display that she put up on the wall, and... Uh, shortly after it came in, uh, she her house was cold all the time, and she couldn't figure it out. And her cat just seemed to be kind of creeped out uh, a lot, like there was something in the house. She had nightmares. And then she started hearing uh, phantom violin music. And phantom music is not uncommon in a lot of hauntings, a lot of haunted places, but she would wake up in the middle of the night and hear this uh, music. And at first she thought maybe uh, she'd left the TV on or uh, something like that, but she would go out uh, to to check, and the music would stop as soon as she got into the room where this violin uh, case was hanging on the wall. Uh, she had uh, dark shadow figures in her room. One night she woke up and there was a shadowy figure in the house and she thought an intruder had broken in and she went tearing out and then it seemed that uh, there was nobody in the house she kind of went back in and uh, checked around and, and the house was empty no one had broken in so she started to to get more and more on edge and more terrified and then um, the music kept going in the, in the middle of the night, and then uh, she the, the breaking point came when um, this thing flew off the wall at her. It's it's like invisible hands wrenched it off the wall and hurled it, trying to hit her. Hurled it with great force, but it missed. And when it crashed to the floor, uh, the odd thing was that the case broke. Uh, or excuse me, the violin broke, but the case did not. Uh, here we have a, a display case with glass, and the case itself remained intact, but the violin was broken in two. So um, we didn't know much about the history of the violin. She didn't either. The shop where she had bought it, uh, they just knew that it was an antique, but they didn't know who the original owner was. And so here we have, again, we have to speculate as to what the cause was. And the most probable explanation is the original owner of the violin was probably very attached to it. It was probably a highly prized instrument. Maybe someone had, uh, had a career with it. And, um, that person's energy had, had gone into this instrument. Uh, it may have gotten passed on after the original owner died. And um, maybe that energy 
then took a kind of a thought form um, kind of personality. Maybe he didn't like being in a display case. Maybe uh, uh, this uh, kind of spirit-like energy uh, didn't like the, its new environment, didn't like her, uh, didn't like uh, being uh, relegated to uh, to just being on display. There's any number of, of possibilities we can think of. But uh, once it was removed from from the house, then everything went back to normal. It, it makes sense that uh, objects that are owned by uh, musicians, artists, uh, maybe writers, uh, these people in life tend to be very intense, uh, dramatic sometimes, a little quirky, eccentric. Uh, and uh, I would imagine, and you can disabuse me of this, Rosemary, but people who have that kind of life, uh, who, who who have that kind of personality in life, they would more likely make some sort of an imprint onto an object. They certainly would. And anyone who has ever studied music and played an instrument uh, would, would know the intensity that is focused uh, when you are practicing and performing. Uh, my husband, Joe, is a classically uh, trained pianist, and uh, he had a stage career um, uh, years and years ago, and, uh, you know, just hours and hours devoted to practice. You, d- you bond with your instrument, and it's, it becomes like an extension of you. So it's very easy to see how these sorts of things could acquire a haunting presence. Well, you know, here's something that's very strange as you're talking to me about this occurred to me. And last night uh, I was hosting Coast to Coast and I had Gary Patterson on, on the program who talks about, writes about, you know, tales from the rock and roll graveyard. And, you know, he specializes in talking about musicians that have had such tragedy in their life and, 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 and died untimely deaths. And we all know about the, the uh, you know, the drug abuse and the alcoholism uh, and the... Uh, Mental illness, really, within the within uh, the rock and roll world, and I'm wondering maybe whether some of that might be attributed to the the actual instruments that these these uh, musicians are walking around with. Uh, maybe they, you know, maybe they bought it secondhand, and they have no idea. Uh, is that possible? That that's why a lot of people in the music industry, uh, you know, live such tragic lives. It's certainly an interesting theory, Richard, and has a lot of plausibility to it. Uh, many musicians prize getting the instrument of somebody else, especially who is famous. And uh, maybe the energies that come along with those uh, those instruments don't translate well to the new owner. It's uh, not a good thing to do. Uh, so it could very likely be part of that, that mix. Yeah, you think of all the uh, artists, for example, that have died in plane crashes. Uh, a lot of musicians, you know. And now, granted, uh, the odds are, that, you know, they're they're in a high risk business. They're flying more than the average person. Sometimes they fly in bad weather. Their promoter says, "No, you got to be in Louisiana tomorrow night, come hell or high water." Um, you know, thinking about people like Jim Reeves, Jim Croce, uh, Patsy Cline, Buddy Holly. Uh, you know, maybe it wasn't just the fact they were flying a lot. Maybe that guitar. Uh, they got it secondhand somewhere. Well, how do you, how do you know? Let's say you've got your house packed with old instruments, or you've, or you're running a music shop, uh, or or an antique shop. Uh, how do you know which piece is responsible? How do you go about finding that out? The evidence is really it's like it hides in plain sight, and in almost every case that we take on like this, 
the the people, the victims will say that they had a funny feeling about something when they acquired it, but they chose to ignore it. They passed it off as their imagination, or maybe they didn't believe in the supernatural. There were so many other reasons why they absolutely had to have this object that they overrode their own gut in, intuition. Uh, an object that has troubling energy attached to it uh, can be felt. It's palpable. Uh, when people look at it, handle it, uh, they might get a queasy feeling, an uneasy feeling, uh, or put off, and they don't pay attention to it. So that's w- one of the biggest giveaways right there. Uh, and one of the the things that we advise people at the end of the book where we talk about, you know, how do you recognize these things and what do you do about it, is that when you are out shopping, especially for, for second-hand things, pay attention to how your body is responding to uh, to an object when you look at it and handle it. Sometimes people get these, like, irresistible attractions to things for various reasons, and that seems to be part of it, too, where they're kind of lured in without realizing it, but it's still not a happy feeling. It's more of an, um, a fatal attraction kind of, kind of energy. And they'll almost always say to us, I knew there was something strange about that thing. Or when I picked it up, it felt really weird to me. Um, and uh, in the case of some people, especially young people, who, who really like to go and look for weird things so that they can have unusual conversation pieces... Uh, that's what exactly what they're looking for, and they don't realize that they're a- actually out looking for trouble. Uh, I mentioned uh, Scott uh, uh, McClelland earlier, who has this traveling sideshow up here called Carnival Diablo, and he's also a ripperologist, which is, uh, for those not in the know, these are uh, sort of, I-, I hasten to use the word fans, or I- I- I'm I'd rather not use the word fans, but that-, that are enthusiasts of the whole the Jack the Ripper case. And he's a collector. And... Um, one of Jack the Ripper's victims, I think she was the third victim uh, of the serial killer, was Elizabeth Stride. She was known as Long Liz. She was a, a prostitute. She was particularly um, uh, tall. And when she was found, in her hand were, were uh, some, some coins, some English coins, money. And um, he owns, apparently, one of those coins. I don't know how this was verified. Uh, but he handed them to me and he wanted me to look at them. And I tell you, I felt something strange. I don't know if it just it was because I made the association that these were once being, these were once held by one of Jack the Ripper's victims or whether there was some sort of an energy there. You gotta be careful, well, you know, when, when people start passing this stuff around. What, how can you protect yourself? Uh, the best thing to do if you're going to uh, to deal with a spirit world is to uh, understand what's out there, to have a very good buffer around you. Now, everybody has a different threshold of sensitivity, and sometimes the victims in these cases are unusually sensitive to the spirit world. They, they sort of make ideal hosts that uh, they've got something in their energy field that uh, spirits are able to latch onto and energize themselves from. Then other people have very good buffers around them. Uh, You could even bring uh, a haunted object into their environment, and it would remain rather inert because it hasn't got anything to to literally feed off of. Uh, So uh, just as a common sense uh, measure, 
to to uh, understand your intuition, to know how it functions. I always recommend to people in all walks of life that a daily practice of of meditation and and prayer uh, is a it's like going to the psychic gym. It builds up that buffer around you. Uh, but paying attention to your gut instincts is really the number one thing that the average person uh, should uh, should develop. We, we're all intuitive. We've all got that, and it can be our biggest ally in keeping the unwanted out of our home environments. Uh, very quickly, because we're almost out of time here, but, you know, vintage clothing are very popular now, or not even vintage clothing necessarily. People looking for deals on, on uh, clothes will go to uh, a thrift shop where, you, you know, if you know your if you know your labels and, you know, you can really find some amazing articles of clothing, uh, and, and sometimes the vendor doesn't know what he's got or she has, and you can end up buying a designer dress for $12 or something, people have to be on the lookout and be very careful and mindful of that, don't they? Here again, the the emotions of the original owner can linger in the clothing. And one of the best examples we have is a West Point dress cadet jacket that dated to about the turn of the 20th century. It was purchased by a young woman who wanted it for a fashion piece, and she loved it. She wore it all the time. Um, she began having nightmares. Uh, they turned out to be uh, scenes of fighting that we felt were, were World War One, And our conclusion was that whoever had um, owned that dress jacket, even though the jacket had not been used in combat, it still uh, had a great deal of emotional significance uh, to probably a young man who had it. Uh, that he had probably been killed in World War One because some of her her nightmares were uh, being in trenches and people uh, being uh, gassed and uh, you know they used the chloroform gas sure. there. Well, and, just goes to show you, you uh, got to be you got to be careful. Saw blood on herself, um, and all of it was held in the jacket. All of those memories. All right, Rosemary, got to run. Wish we had more time. Uh, congratulations on the uh, the new book, Haunted by the Things You Love by Visionary Press. Thank you very much, Richard. Good night. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.